listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai, and today we're taking an inside look at a foundation of love for your pets. I'm talking about the Morris Animal Foundation. Now that brings me to my rant of the week. If you love cats the way I do, it's got to puzzle you why the research bucks mostly get spent on dogs. Now, don't get me wrong. I love dogs, too, and horses and wildlife, and they all deserve a helping hand. But I want the best veterinary brains to research how to keep all my pets healthy, including the kitty cats. In fact, canine studies often help felines and vice versa. And research that helps to unravel pet diseases sometimes helps people health, too. Yet there are some cat-specific illnesses and concerns that have been clawing at our felines for years, and the funds to find a treatment, a prevention, even a cure, seems like it's taken nine lives to collect. So why do cats get the short end of the healthcare stick? Listen today. We have a unique opportunity for you to help. I'm delighted to introduce you to Dr. Patricia Olson, a veterinarian, scientist, and president, CEO of Morris Animal Foundation. This is an organization that funds animal health research that protects, treats, and cures companion animals, horses, and even wildlife. She's also a highly sought-after speaker and a counselor to organizations and governmental agencies all around the world. Dr. Olson has had positions at Guide Dogs for the Blind and the American Humane Association. She's taught at three veterinary colleges. So call your dogs and your cats, bring in your horses and your monkeys. And we'll be right back with Dr. Olson after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Pet Life Radio proudly presents DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. Get ready to unleash the dog sports enthusiast in all of us. From ski drawing and mushing to racing, agility, and competition. This is the place to learn all about the dog sports and activities that you can do with your furry best friend and canine competitor. So get ready for game time. DSPN with your host, Lori Williams. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please welcome Dr. Patricia Olson, President and CEO of Morris Animal Foundation. Dr. Olson has won numerous awards for her work, which have included efforts to address pet overpopulation and even the relinquishment of unwanted animals. Welcome to the show, Dr. Olson. Well, thank you for having me. Before we start, I always like to ask my guests to tell a little bit about themselves. Uh, So what animals do you have at your house? What companions share your life? Well, I don't have a cat right now. Our former family cat named Fungus, uh, named by by our children when she was abandoned outside our house with um, a fungal infection but lived to be 17, uh, died a couple of years ago. Right now I have two dogs, Emma, a Labrador retriever, and Socrates, a golden retriever, and then my husband claims a Boston Terrier, Otis Jr. So between the two of us, we have three dogs. Wow, it sounds like a houseful. How did you get involved with uh, Morris Animal Foundation, Dr. Olson? Well, Morris Animal Foundation was established in 1948 by a visionary veterinarian, and so as a veterinarian myself, I knew about the foundation and its good works, but about four and a half years ago, my predecessor retired, and uh, the foundation was recruiting for a new president and CEO, and I thought it was a wonderful opportunity whereby I could give back to the profession and hopefully help advance animal health and welfare. Well, there are many other animal health foundations out there. Um, In fact, I did an earlier show and interviewed Dr. Susan Little with Wynn Feline Foundation. How is Morris Animal Foundation different than Wynn Feline Foundation or the Canine Health Foundation or any number of others that that benefit our, our cats and dogs? Well, I think any animal health foundation, such as Wynn, or you mentioned also AKC, Canine Health Foundation, we feel they're all our partners, and we're all thrilled to have each other trying to work effectively together to help all our animals. Morris Animal Foundation's a little bit unique in that we say we fund companion animal health and welfare research. So like you said, dogs, cats, horses, birds, etc., and wildlife. So that's a little bit of our niche. And as um, our scientists at least tell us, there are very few foundations who actually do provide funding for wildlife, so that makes us unique in that venue. 
how many uh, proposals do you receive a year? And, and is this something that, I mean, we have visions of the money just pouring in and giving life to these studies that are going to save our cats and our dogs and, you know, our mountain gorillas for that matter. How many proposals do you receive each year? What's the dollar amount are we talking about here? And, and how do those compare, cats versus dog, for instance? Well, we receive approximately 500 proposals each year, and of those, we're, we feel really fortunate if we can fund 20%. So there are many good proposals that don't get funded. We are committed to fund, right now, 151 studies, and that studies, again, for all those species I mentioned, dogs, cats, horses, wildlife, And many of the studies span three years. So right now, our total amount of commitment for all of those studies and for all years is around $11 million. Holy cow, $11 million. So how does that shake out? Do the mountain gorillas get more money than, say, the llamas do versus the cats versus the budgies? Well, it's a great great question. A lot of what happens is as we get these proposals approved, so we have 23 volunteer scientific experts who review them, grade them, recommend to our board of trustees which ones should be funded, and then monitor their progress. These scientists then tell us kind of what the, the list should look like, and then what we do each year is we go out and try to find sponsorships for the studies. So if we get lots of donors who want to help sponsor the feline studies, then hopefully the next year we would have more money for studies that address those issues that are unique to the cat. The volunteers, uh, scientists that review these proposals, what, what does a proposal generally look like? What does that consist of? Are these folks that are at university, are they independent or a mix of the two? And is there a lot of paperwork involved? I mean, if my local veterinarian wanted to do a study, could he submit something to Morris Animal Foundation? Well, we do have a few veterinary specialty practices that may submit proposals to us. Generally, they go through academic institutions such as veterinary colleges. But veterinarians in practice are very important partners relative to that case, those cases that may need to be studied. So it's a partnership between the university, between practicing veterinarians, between foundations such as Morris Animal Foundation. We also supply funding to zoological institutions if there again is research there that needs to be addressed on zoo animals or wildlife out in, you know, various um, natural areas to be studied. So that's sort of how it goes. We have what we also are very proud of, our very stringent animal welfare guidelines, which have just recently, a couple weeks ago, become policy. So we want to be sure that every animal that participates in a study, whether it's an animal that you and I might own as part of a clinical trial or any animal that may be housed at a university, has outstanding care and that all of our studies are really good for animals, both those that are in the study and those that benefit from the study. I think that should be a very comforting note, too, for people who maybe have a perception of animal research as being these 
Frankensteinian types of awful things being done to, to animals in, in pursuit of, of health care for people. And that's not the case at all, is it? That's correct. Our mission is to help the animals. Our founder, Dr. Mark Morris Sr., believed that animals needed their own health foundation. So while, for example, the National Institutes of Health may sometimes fund research where animals are used as models for disease. That's not what we do. We are looking at the animals' diseases and how can we help to make them healthier in the future and give them a longer life and a better quality of life. Well, and in fact, animals have many of the same diseases uh, that, that people do. So in some instances, it may be that studies that have been done on people are actually going to benefit our cats and dogs. Is that the case? And, and vice versa. What's really interesting relative to some of the work we're now funding in a cancer initiative is that dogs and cats who live with us may be extremely important to us as to what causes their cancer. So we're looking at genetic and environmental and nutritional risk factors. And, and we believe that that natural environment is what's important. It's how do they get cancer in the same environments that we get cancer in, and, and might we give each other clues that um, our best friends can benefit from what we learn about ourselves and, again, vice versa. So why should people care about wildlife studies then? I mean, how does helping the mountain gorilla impact my life or my companion animal friends? Well, that's another great question. If you look at our wildlife studies, you know, we're all part of the same world and the same planet. And when we get proposals that come into us that are saying the gorillas are dying, it's important to understand what's causing that because that may have implications for all of us. We have one study right now that I think is very interesting where we're actually funding some work to try to save the ocean's coral. And that has profound impact on, obviously, the coral, but lots of other species in the ocean. So we kind of are hoping to help all of those wonderful animals in our world, you know, everything from the, the depths of the ocean to the heavens, because we believe that they're all part of that same ecosystem that we that we are in. Sort of the, the canary in the mine shaft point of view, just from that viewpoint, if it weren't, you know, it's the right thing to do. We, we are caretakers of this world. That's correct. And for example, one study that we just got a report on, we just get these wonderful reports every week, is looking at tuberculosis. And it seems that it may affect different species of elephants differently. Well, that's, that may be very important, obviously, for the elephant, but it may be very important for us and that humans also get TB. So what's that all about, that we might be able to identify some clues that may protect us all? All right. Well, we're going to take a break for a moment here, and we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Olson and get even more categorical after messages from these sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Sponsors. 
want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back. And again, speaking with Dr. Patricia Olson, the president and CEO of Morris Animal Foundation. Morris Animal Foundation, founded in 1948, has been at the forefront of funding breakthrough research studies benefiting animals on all seven continents. Now, I know also, Dr. Olson, there are some special campaigns, some special initiatives that Morris Animal Foundation has uh, set up. So I'd like to touch a little bit on each of these and end up with the, uh, the kitty campaign. But tell me a little bit first about what does the equine health campaign do? What are you looking at there? Well, this is an international project that's trying to address genetic causes of disease in horses, all breeds of horses. And it's an amazing project. There are 18 universities that have agreed to collaborate And we're really pleased about that because we believe if we can encourage collaboration among wonderful scientific teams around the world, then discovery and breakthrough is possible. This particular campaign, again, they're looking at genetic causes of disease, but also how do genes interact with um, the triggers that may cause disease. And they've already had some breakthroughs, so we're very pleased with that project, and it's moving ahead very well. All right, let's move right along then to the animal behavior campaign. And this is um, not just dogs, not just cats, but animal behavior in general? Well, it, it could be animal behavior in general. Right now we're focusing primarily on cats and dogs. Um, as you may know, it's often stated that the number one cause of relinquishment for dogs and cats um, to shelters is behavior. Absolutely. Those those behaviors may be appropriate for the animal, but they become inappropriate to us humans who don't know how to deal with them. So what we're trying to do is address animal behavior so these animals can stay in their homes and have a good long life. It's felt that for cats and dogs under the age of two, premature deaths from euthanasia because these animals end up in shelters and there are not enough homes is a huge cause. So it becomes then a great cause for us because we want to keep animals alive. We want them to survive so then they can also have the benefit of good health and live long lives. So I think people, our listeners, may not quite uh, have understood this before that behavior actually can be a health issue for our companion animals. It is definitely a health issue in that it has been associated with 
deaths. And I mean, the National Council on Pet Population Study and Policy several years ago identified 73 reasons for relinquishment. Behavior is number one. So if we can address that, we can keep these wonderful animals in their homes and keep them alive and healthy and happy. Well, the next uh, campaign that I wanted to talk about, and this I think is probably touched everyone in the world on some level, either in their companion animal or in a human family member, and that's canine cancer campaign. And I'm hoping that, of course, this will cross species lines in, in other campaigns, but tell us a little specifically about the canine cancer campaign. This is really a unique venture. This is a really exciting campaign, and as you said, this affects us. Most people have someone in their family or a friend that's had cancer, as far as humans, and also many of us have animals that have had cancer. What's really interesting about the Canine Cancer Campaign is we're, it's, it's a, three, a three-prong approach. We want to provide new or novel treatments for animals suffering from cancer now, because we think that chemotherapeutics may be as good as we have right now, but in the future, we hope that we don't have to use these poisons and that there may be much better treatments going forward. We also want to provide the scientists with the tools that they need, and we have now a national tumor bank that's been established where scientists that want to study these diseases, the various types of cancers, have immediate access to high-quality samples. And then number three, which is what I'm very excited about, and I'm sure your listeners may be too, we'd like to prevent it from ever happening in the first place. Oh, amen. (laughs) And and as a veterinarian, I don't even think I appreciate it as much as I probably should have, that if you take all these breeds of dogs that we have from the littlest to the largest, many of these breeds segregated or differentiated in just a few hundred years. For example, the Golden Retriever breed started in 1876, so not all that long ago. Right. And the Golden Retriever has the highest rate of cancer of any breed in the United States. In fact, it's said that probably 60% of these dogs will die of cancer. So we'd like to understand why. We believe that this is a solvable problem. And if we get the right teams working together and, again, can get veterinarians talking to human doctors and all these researchers evaluating this issue, we think that there could be a breakthrough. And, again, we've got new genetic tools that might make it feasible, whereas 10 or 15 years ago it wasn't. And, in fact, uh, I'm I'm at your, your website right now and looking at the canine cancer campaign. And, basically, people, even if you don't have a golden retriever, one in four dogs die of cancer. So if you have four dogs, as many of us in this country have more than one pet, one of those dogs is going to be affected. So it's it's, lot, it's, it's... it's the largest cause of death in dogs over the age of two. You're absolutely right. Thank you for pointing that out. Well, and in fact, our cats are not immune. Cats have cancer too. And this is a campaign that is close to my heart as well, is the, uh, the Cat Health Campaign. Please give us a, a scoop on what's going on here. Absolutely. Cats also have cancer. In fact, several years ago when the foundation surveyed our donors, those who identified themselves with dogs listed cancer as number one. Those who identified identified themselves with cats listed cancer as number two. Kidney disease was number one. So what we're doing with the Happy Healthy Cat campaign is, again, the feline genome has been sequenced. 
we received an amazing gift from Hills Pet Nutrition, which is a whole bunch of genetic material, which is it's referred to as 3 million SNPs. It's a single nucleotide polymorphism. And all that means is they've given Morris Animal Foundation a tool that we can distribute to the wider world of feline scientists all over the world and see if we can understand some of the cat's unique health disorders. We've sent out a survey to scientists everywhere that we can think of, asking them to report back to us what are the priorities that we should start to research right now based on this wonderful genetic gift. And um, we're very excited. Hills has also pumped a a million dollars into this research activity. Wow. We are very thrilled that the cat, as you said, often is neglected and doesn't get a lot of research, but it should soon be uh, catching up. Well, why is that, do you think? Why do cats receive less? It's not just research care, but even vet care. Going to the veterinarian once a year, some cats don't even get that. Why aren't more cats getting this basic care? Why aren't scientists more focused on feline health issues? Well, it's a great question, and a lot of groups are trying to actually address that right now. If you ask cat owners, sometimes it's, you know, it's difficult to get that cat to the veterinarian and then figure out you know, how that cat's going to respond to that experience. But again, I think if we have what's called evidence-based medicine and we can explain to owners why this is so important and why you need certain health checks maybe at different times of a cat's life based on certain risks for disease, then we believe that they're going to they're gonna take that animal in for care because it's going to make sense to them. It's not just, well, bring your cat in, but here's why it should come and here's what test it needs at a certain period of time. You know, it's kind of like women. We don't maybe get as many mammograms when we're age 20 as we do when we're age 50 unless we have a certain risk for it. So what we're trying to do at the foundation is provide the evidence that then gets back to the veterinarian, gets back to the cat owner that makes sense as to why we should be seeing these animals. As far as research, that again, then if cats don't get in or if veterinary schools don't see as many, then they're less likely to do certainly clinical research because they don't have that case population. Um, So we're trying to change that. We're trying to get scientists trained. There's that's a whole other issue. We're, we're running out of veterinary scientists, so the foundation is really working to get more of these wonderful young people captured into scientific endeavor. And then we're trying to provide them with the research funding to be able to address feline health concerns. Well, I know my own cat. Uh, I've got my little reminder this uh, past week, and serendipity is due for her annual vaccination and examination. And uh, she's not a, a happy kitty to go to the veterinarian. Her head spins around, and she, you know, does the whole pea soup thing. So uh, I can really sympathize with folks. But you know, this is this is really so very important, and in, in our economy now, where. Everyone is is looking at their pocketbooks. If they just look at it from the viewpoint, it's not only good for their health, it's going to save you money and heartache down the road. You get that, that kitty cat in on a regular basis and get some of these preventions and screening tools done. And I, I just can't tell you how thrilled I am that Morris is um, 
stepping up to the plate there and Hills is partnering. What can people do? I mean, since this economy is going to impact our level of giving, is that a concern of Morris Animal Foundation? And what suggestions do you have for listeners? How can they help, especially those of us that are on pretty tight budgets already? Oh, anything that they can contribute is certainly, we certainly um, are grateful for. And and again, it doesn't have to be huge amounts of money, although we'll certainly take that. But whatever any of your listeners would like to contribute, they could go to our website, which is morrisanimalfoundation.org, and just kind of look and see if there's anything there that is of interest to them and if they'd like to partner. But even for people who can't contribute, we totally understand that. Visit the website and learn about what we're doing. We try to post information there as some of these studies come forward. If uh, any of your listeners have got particular health issues in their cat, they may be able to find good information on the website. And again, every week we get some success. I've got um, some information right here at one university just reporting on a, a a brand-new screening test that looks good for cats that might have little stones that haven't been uh, kidney stones that we haven't been able to detect before. So we're totally committed to the animals and and anything that um, your listeners can do, whether they go there for education or they go go to the website to donate, we're very grateful for their participation. Well, Dr. Olson, before we wrap this up, could you give me some some examples of the improvements in pet health that have have happened as a direct result of some of the uh, Morris Animal Foundation research. I think some of those success stories, it puts it, kind of puts a furry face on things. Well, one that I, as a veterinarian, just think was a wonderful success story. When I was a veterinarian and I would try to regulate blood glucose levels in diabetic cats, it was absolutely horrible. We would test these animals, you know, for hours and try to get glucose curves and figure out how much insulin and then try to regulate their diets. And, you know, sometimes they didn't want to eat. It was awful. And one of the studies that Morris Animal Foundation funded looked at a higher protein diet. And 68%, almost 70% of the cats on that study were able to go off of insulin based on how they were fed. Well, that was a huge breakthrough. Now, I, I... caution any of your listeners who have diabetic cats, don't assume that, you know, if you give them a higher protein that you can stop insulin. This is something you'd have to really check with your veterinarian. But that made a lot of difference to a lot of cats' lives. So there's a perfect example where a good clinical research study was immediately able to get back to veterinarians um, to help their patients. Well, we are out of time, but Thank you so much, Dr. Olson, and I also want to thank the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. So please, listeners, take a moment, give your fur kids a scratch, and when they purr, they woof, or they neigh, there's no doubt they're probably singing the praises of Morris Animal Foundation. Now, to learn more about this incredible organization and how you can help your pets or the gorilla of your dreams, check out the details at the website, morrisanimalfoundation.org. You can also check there on the special campaigns if you have a particular interest in one of those. I dare you to join me next week 
for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. Email me suggestions or post a note on my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way, too. For free behavior and care tips, check out the new Pet Peeves newsletter available from Shajai.com. Woofs and purrs until next time, and don't forget to pet your critters for me, because I don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>